Friends, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? John Oros, who was a church leader in Romania back during communism, shared a a story of his experience under the communist regime. He says that during communism, many of us preached and people came at the end of a service and they said, I've decided to follow Jesus. And we told them, it's good that you want to follow Jesus, but we'd like to tell you that there's a price to be paid. So why don't you reconsider what you want to do? Because many things can happen to you. You can lose, and you can lose big. And he says that a high percentage of those that came forward would still choose to take part in the three-month catechism class. And at the end of that period, the participants would say, I want to be baptized. And this man said he'd respond, well, that's really great that you want to be baptized and that you want to give your testimony, but you need to know something. When you do so, there will be informers here who are going to write down your name. And then the day after that, the problems are going to start. Count the cost. Because Christianity is not easy. It's not cheap. You can be demoted. You could lose your job. You could lose your friends. You could lose your neighbors. You could lose your kids who are climbing the social ladder. You might even lose your life. And this leader reports, let me tell you the joy when I looked in their eyes. And their eyes were filled with tears. And they told us, if I lose everything but Jesus, then it's still worth it. Friends, do you believe that he's worth it? Do you believe that he's worth it? Even if following Jesus costs you everything, is he worth it? Because today, as we open the Scripture, we're going to hear Jesus ask us through this Scripture, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost of following me? Have we? And friends, considering the cost, is Jesus worth it? Let's pray together. Father, this is the question. It's such a hard question to answer. We can't answer this on our own. We can only answer this by the move of your Spirit in our hearts. So Spirit, come and speak to us through the very words that we read now. And Spirit, come and move within us that we might respond to those words and that we might count the cost and that we too might do as we were just singing, that we might follow none but thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, friends, as we continue our study through Luke's Gospel. As we study our way through Luke's Gospel, we're in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and we're starting with verse 25 today. It says, Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned to them, and he said, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and he was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great deal off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Friends, this passage starts off and it says Jesus was doing great. He was a success. Great Crowds, it says here, accompanied Jesus. So in modern terms, this guy was successful. He was well on his way to growing his ancient megachurch. He'd increased his market share. His messages, they were going viral. People were clicking on his original content. They were liking his Facebook profile. They were following him on Twitter and Instagram. He seems to be on his way to success, at least in the eyes of the modern world and maybe even the modern church. He had a huge number of fans. He'd drawn a great crowd. But friends, it's easy to draw a crowd. Anybody can draw a crowd. It's easy to gain fans, but that's not what Jesus is looking for. That's not what he wants. So Jesus turns to the growing crowd and he ruins everything. He totally blows it. He turns around to the crowd and what does he do? He says, hold on. i got to warn you. Following me is costly. So before you decide to follow me, count the cost. Because friends, Jesus isn't looking for a comfy crowd. He's looking for faithful followers. He says, count the cost. And he opens with this seemingly harsh statement about family. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, in our culture today, our commitment to family is celebrated as it should be. But in Jesus' culture, it was even more so. Commitment to family was considered sacred. And so Jesus' words here would have utterly shocked the hearers because he was attacking one of the most sacred obligations that people held. Hate here is used comparatively. Jesus is saying, in comparison to your commitment to follow me, comparatively, you should be hating your family. In other words, forced to choose, Jesus says, I should be the winner. You know, years ago, there was a college student who was a summer missionary in East Malaysia. And while he was there, he was working with a small church. And at one of those church worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Christ and to be baptized. And during that service, this student noticed that up against the wall of the church, there was some old beat-up luggage. And so he asked the pastor about it. And the pastor said, that girl, the girl who was just baptized, her father said to her that if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never come home again. So she brought her luggage to today's service. Forced to choose. Who would win? 
Jesus challenges, he says, all that we hold sacred. But to follow me, are you willing to choose me above all other things, all other commitments, all other relationships, all other priorities? And now when we consider that our culture today still values family, but it does not value family as much as it values the individual, we might consider, would Jesus come today and say, follow me, you need to choose me over all the things that you hold sacred. Yes, your family, but also your identity, your sexuality, your money, your autonomy, all these things, will you hate them and surrender them, surrender the right to control them? To follow me. Because Jesus says, if you hold anything more sacred, anything more important than following and obeying me, you can't be my disciple. And this is a hard teaching. And Jesus doesn't make it any easier because he goes on to say, yeah, you need to hate your own life to be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Friends, under Roman law, Criminals condemned to die were forced to carry their cross or at least the cross beam through the streets on the way to their execution. So when Jesus, which we know Jesus himself had to do at the very end of his life. And so when Jesus' hearers heard this, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Bearing your cross means if you're going to come after me, you're going to come and die. And so it is, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. So it is we sang this morning, the wonderful cross, what does it do? It bids me to come and to die, to find that I might truly live. And Jesus warns all of his followers, make certain that if you come after me, you need to know You're going to bear a cross and you're going to die. And friends, the thing about dead men and the thing about dead women is they have no rights. They make no demands. They are not in control. They've died. They simply do what they're asked to do. They go where they're asked to go. They follow regardless of the cost personally, professionally, financially, socially. Jesus says, count the cost of following me. Because I call you to die. To die to yourself, to die to your rights, to die to your passions, to die. Count the cost because it will cost you everything. And at this point you take a deep breath and you go, whoa, whoa, Adam. You know, this doesn't sound like grace. You're regularly up there talking about grace, a gift, unearned, unearnable favor. You regularly quote to us Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift and not a result of works so that no one can boast. But now you're up there, Adam, and you're talking about this call to follow Jesus. not sounding like grace that we receive. Now it's sounding like a work we need to do. You're here talking about the cost of following him, but, but isn't it a free gift? Didn't Jesus pay the cost? of our sins on the cross? And friends, these are good questions. And yes, we are 
saved by grace. It is a free gift which we receive and there's nothing we can do to earn. But friends, here we need to understand the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. The costly grace is what Jesus describes here. And it's the only grace that the scriptures have any knowledge of. Cheap grace, friends, cheap grace is a human invention. It's a distortion. It's a false gospel. This morning we sang of the costly grace that Christ gives us. Rock of ages, no one takes your life. You died that I might live. Costly grace, you freely give. You see, Jesus died not just to forgive my sins, but so that I, and leave me as I was. He died that I might live new, that I might live differently, that I might then follow Him. Costly grace keeps together grace and discipleship. Believing in Jesus and obeying Jesus. The forgiveness of Jesus and the following of Jesus. Whereas cheap grace, cheap grace tries to separate grace from discipleship. It's artificial, it's unnatural, and friends, it's impossible. And to illustrate, I have a coin. A coin here, and the coin has two sides. It has heads and it has tails. And I'm going to ask my friend Lance here to help me. There you go, Lance. So, Lance, what I want you to do is you've got the coin, it's got two sides. I want you just to give me back one side. Heads or tails, either one, your choice, but just one side. Just one, no? Because the problem is, if he gives me heads, tails is coming with it. If he gives me tails, heads is coming with it. You can't separate them if you can't have one without the other. And friends, that is costly grace. It's grace and discipleship together. We cannot have the forgiveness without the following. And when we separate those, we do something unnatural, something that is not in the Scriptures. We create cheap grace. But the truth is, friends, cheap grace is desperately what we want. You see, we want grace without discipleship. We really want to be forgiven without this call to follow Jesus. We want cheap grace that doesn't cost us anything. And as I've already quoted this morning, back in 1937, a German pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote what would become a classic, The Cost of Discipleship. And while I was tempted to stand before you today and read the entirety of the book, because it is worth reading, I'm only going to share some snippets. But Bonhoeffer powerfully and succinctly talks about the difference between costly grace and cheap grace. He writes and describes to us, cheap grace is a cheap covering for sins. No contritions required, less any real desire to be delivered. Instead of following Jesus, let the Christian just enjoy the consolations of grace. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. It's absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. What is cheap grace, friends? Cheap grace says you can be forgiven your sins without ever repenting and leaving your sins. You can be comforted in your sin instead of delivered from it. You can be part of the church without ever submitting to the church. You get all of the benefit and none of the cost. Cheap grace says that Jesus is a liar. Because cheap grace says you don't actually need to bear your cross and die like we just heard Jesus said. 
And friends, in 1937, when Bonhoeffer wrote this book, he did it as a warning. Because he opens the book saying, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. And we are fighting today for costly grace. And friends, today, 80 years later, that fight rages on. Just a couple of years ago, another pastor by the name of Kyle Eidelman wrote, The biggest threat to the church today are fans, as in sports fans, who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Jesus. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it costs or requires anything from them. Cheap grace. I want all the benefit, but none of the cost. I want all the forgiveness, but none of the repentance. But friends, you can't separate grace and discipleship. It's what we want but it's not what Christ offers. And this isn't a new problem in the church. Back all the way in the 15th century, theologian Thomas Akempis wrote, Jesus has many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross. All desire to rejoice with him, but few are willing to suffer for his sake. Many admire his miracles, but few follow him in the humiliation of the cross. Church, are we just partakers of cheap grace? Fans of Jesus, but not followers. Those who want the benefits, but aren't willing to bear the cross. Those who rejoice with him, but aren't willing to suffer for him. Are we captive to and captivated by cheap grace? Because Jesus tells us here, there is no such thing. There's no such thing as cheap grace. Cheap grace is a deadly illusion. It's a sham that we pull over our own eyes so that we don't have to repent. It's a lie that we use to lull ourselves into complacent sleep. It's a poison that infects the church, that kills our witness, and that is driving our kids away. Friends, we need what Jesus describes in today's passage, costly grace. This grace cost Christ his life. And friends, it will cost us ours as well. And Jesus warns, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. Because no builder builds without counting the cost to guarantee he can complete the project. No king goes to war without counting the cost to guarantee victory. And salt, salt that doesn't maintain its saltiness all the way to the end, it's worthless. And it gets thrown out. So Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost. Are you with me to the end? No matter what you lose no matter what it costs you. Because he warns any of, those, any of you, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Friends, that's not a threat. That's just a statement of fact. If we do not renounce all, we cannot follow. Grace is a free gift, but friends... It's a gift that when you receive it, it will cost you everything. You see, it's a gift so good that once you receive it, you realize that all of your other treasures, they're worthless, and you turn from them. The gift is so beautiful, grace is so beautiful and so pure, that once you receive it, all of your other beauties look impure and ugly, and you turn from them. It's a truth that's so true that all the other truths that you've sought after and believed are exposed to be lies, and you renounce them. Jesus' parables tell us that he is the treasure hidden in the field that the man discovered and sold, renounced everything in order to have it. 
He's the pearl of great price of such value that the man sold everything. He renounced all just to possess it. Jesus is clear. Grace is free. But friends, this is a gift that is so great. We cannot hold on to it if we hold to anything else. It is the gift. And it pushes all the rest out of our lives. Jesus warns, count the cost. Because following me does not mean that you can just add me as another priority on your priority list. Jesus says following me does not mean that I just get one voice amongst all the other voices talking to you. Jesus says I have come to unseat them all. I must be the only voice. Pastor Ray Ortland has spoken about the boardroom of your heart. He said, you and I are not integrated, unified persons. Our hearts are multi-divided. It's like we've got a boardroom in every heart. Imagine the big table, the leather chairs, the coffee. The committee sits around the table of your heart. There's the social self, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, the religious self, and many others. And the committee of your heart is constantly arguing and debating and voting constantly agitated and upset. And they can rarely, if ever, come to a unanimous, wholehearted decision because we are divided, unfocused, hesitant, and unfree. And isn't that an accurate description? The way our hearts often feel? Friends, Jesus has come not just to join the committee. He hasn't come so he can take a seat at the table and get one vote. Friends, Jesus has come to fire the committee of your heart and to take over sole proprietorship. Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, you fire them. You renounce all, and you follow, and you follow me alone. Jesus says, your sexual self, your social self, your religious self, and any other voice, they don't get a greater voice. They don't even get the same voice as me. They're fired. You must renounce all, your rights, your desires, everything you hold dear, everything you count as sacred. It's all on the altar. And if I'm calling the shots, Any of it could be sacrificed. So count the cost. Count the cost of following me. Am I worth it? Because friends, where the rubber really meets the road is obedience. What happens when God calls us? When Jesus calls us to do something that we don't want to do? What happens when his will comes in conflict with our will? What happens when he calls us to sacrifice sacred cows or calls me to suffer his name? Friends, that is when we want cheap grace. Because cheap grace, grace without discipleship, is so attractive because what it does is it then just baptizes the sin because grace abounds. Instead of reminding us that we have been baptized into Christ and we who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. So you must also consider yourselves now dead, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, by his costly grace, we have died. We've been crucified. Bear your cross. The old life is dead and gone. And now the only life we have is the new life in Christ. It is as we sang this morning in that final song, sin shall never be our master. Why? Because we're captives of your blessed and costly grace.
offering our lives hereafter, we resolve to seek your face because it's by your grace that we live and we will follow none but thee. Captives no longer of our sin, of our desires, but of his grace. By his grace we live and by his grace we follow none but him. So Jesus says, count the cost. And you know, just about a month ago, I had a man sitting in my office who was counting the cost. We were there talking about Jesus. And he made the most amazing statement right in the midst of our conversation. He said to me, you know, I don't think my problem is cognitive. I know the stories. I know the accounts. I believe they're true. And he said to me, I think the problem is my will. I just don't want to. And I almost fell out of my chair. And I said, yes. Yes, that's all of our problem because it's easy to believe in Jesus when he doesn't conflict with what I want. It's easy to follow Jesus when society thinks that it's wonderful. It's easy to believe and follow Jesus when it's what my friends believe. But what happens when the cost becomes great, friends? What happens when I have to surrender my heart desires? What happens when I need to sacrifice what I or this world says is sacred? What happens when I need to suffer because of society's scorn? When my will comes in contact with his will, what will happen? When that happens, we look to the cross and remember Jesus' words, bear your cross. Anyone who does not renounce all cannot be my disciple. Because, friends, grace is costly. Grace and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. Because grace is found in Jesus, and having Jesus means discipleship. And discipleship means bearing the cross and renouncing all that I might have him. Have you counted the cost? Is Jesus worth it? Sam Alberry is a pastor in the United Kingdom. He's a speaker and he's an author. Also, Alberry has been same-sex attracted his whole life. And he wrote an article on the Gospel Coalition website, How Can the Gospel Be Good News to Gays? And he writes about how his desires came up against what he believed was obedience to Jesus Christ and he had to count the cost. And Alberry, understanding that grace is not cheap but costly, heard Jesus call to bear his cross, die to himself, renounce all, and Alberry follows God by leading a celibate life. And the conclusion of his article was, the main point is this, the moment that you think following Jesus will be a poor deal for someone, you call Jesus a liar. Discipleship is not always easy. Leaving anything cherished behind is profoundly hard. But Jesus is always worth it. Friends, is Jesus worth it? What will it cost you to follow? What will you need to leave behind? What do you need to renounce? What by His grace do you need to be freed from and let go of? How must you die that you might live in His abundant grace? Count the cost, because Jesus is better. Better than all you and I might leave behind to follow him. Every one of us in this room must answer, is Jesus worth it?
Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, a grace that sets us free, a grace that comes so freely, a grace that transforms and forgives, but a grace that leads us to follow. And may we follow, Father. May we follow you when your will conflicts with our will, when our desires must be sacrificed, when we must renounce all, give us power by the Spirit to do so, so that we can truly follow none but thee. Father, may we be your disciples. And may you send us into this world to make more disciples and to speak of your costly grace, a grace that forgives, a grace that transforms, grace that is good news to all who would receive. And Father, may many receive, and may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Let's close our time together. Standing and singing hymn number 293. 293.